1: Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, WTIC FM and WTIC.com. Aaron Kupek joining you this Sunday morning and we are pleased to be joined by two special guests to mark National Adoption Awareness Month. We are joined by Jacqueline Ford, the statewide foster care and adoption recruitment specialist for the State Department of Children and Families, and also Rebecca Iantoni. She is an adoptive parent. Thank you so much for joining us this morning.
0: Thank you for having us. Thank you.
1: Jacqueline, why don't you start by telling us a little about the Heart Gallery, which is one way you can adopt a child in Connecticut.
0: It is. um, The Heart Gallery is a is a photo exhibit that travels all around Connecticut, and it highlights the faces and the stories of the children in our program who need a forever home, a permanent plan. Um, The galleries are in public areas, such as hospitals and town halls, um, art galleries as well, and it's also online, um, listed online on our website. Um, And they tell a story about the children and what their needs are, um, how old they are, characteristics about them, And we have their photographs taken by professional photographers in our community who donate their time and their talent to take these photographs.
1: How many children are in the Heart Gallery and how strong is the need for adoptive parents to come forward?
0: Um, We have a very strong need um, for people to come forward to consider adopting one of these children. There are 31 kids in the Heart Gallery right now. And in order to be in our Heart Gallery, the children meet a criteria. And that criteria is to be either a teenager, um, to be involved in a sibling group, have a brother or sister or or more than one, um, to be medically complex. Those are the three criteria that will allow for a child to be considered for the heart gallery because we consider their needs to be a little greater than the traditional child looking for uh, an adoptive home.
1: Rebecca, you adopted your son when he was 7. He is 16 now. He was in the heart gallery. How did you make that connection?
2: We had been talking about adopting for uh, about a year and a half, two years, we'd gone to a couple of DCF open houses um, and just kind of never felt the it in sync. And then one day, it was a February, a um, number of years ago, I was looking at the Hart Gallery and I saw Gannon's picture and I immediately emailed it to my husband and said, what about this guy? And my husband said, okay. <laughs> and I could tell, I'm, I happen to be a special needs lawyer in Connecticut, and so I could tell from where... The picture was taken where he was, so I called the director of that school program, and I said, "You know, why haven't you ever told me about Gannon?" <laughs> and so, um, she said, "Here's here's his his uh, DCF caseworker," and within uh, I think a week, uh, DCF was at our house, um, you know, kind of doing preliminary introductions and um, meeting our other kids, and um, you know, did, the process just rolled from there.
1: Jacqueline, what are the requirements to become an adoptive parent in Connecticut?
0: Well, the requirements to be a foster or adoptive parent in Connecticut are the same. Um, You must be 21 years of age or older, have verification of stable income, um, have a safe place to live and a stable lifestyle, and be willing to take these children into your home and provide them with unconditional love. We do background checks and, and different Uh, paperwork and assessments which isn't really an ongoing assessment but those are the basic requirements.
1: The heart gallery is a great way to adopt a child but it's not the only way what are the other pathways to adoption in Connecticut?
0: Well you can choose to either be licensed as a foster parent or a pre-adoptive parent um, when you go through our training class it's the same curriculum for foster care as it is for pre-adoption. In foster care we find that many of our adoptions come through the foster care system and that means that um, when a child is removed from their family, um, we remove them because there's issues of abuse or neglect. And we allow the family to work on the issues that has present these children in care. And when the family is not able to rehabilitate within a reasonable amount of time for their children, we look for a plan B. Um, we concurrently plan and look for a permanent home for them, an adoptive home. If the child is doing well in foster care, we would love for the foster family to adopt that child. Um, it, you know, the less, the fewer moves that a child has when they come into our program, the better it is for that child. The least disruptions. So when a foster parent is in the situation where they can adopt this child, um, we would love for that to happen. So we do have many of our foster children are adopted through the foster care system, um, but we also have. A registry of people who want to just adopt. They don't want to foster. They want to wait until a child comes into the program that is matched with their family. So in foster care, once you're licensed, it's pretty immediate when you'll start to receive placements. But in adoption, there's a, a longer wait because it's a match in an assessment for a child to come into your care.
1: How long does the licensing process typically take?
0: It's a 13week training um, and then you know after the training the trainer is meeting with the family to write their home study assess their home um, so I would say the whole process will take you about four to six months
1: How did the process work for you Rebecca?
0: Uh, so we
2: always joke that we had a bachelor's in adopting and a master's in Gannon <laughs> because we um, we went through the because when you adopt a special needs child or a medically complex child you have to go through the DCF, Pieces first, and then you have to go through kind of the special needs, you know, more directed, directed training related to the child. We were lucky; uh, we were able to move through the process pretty quickly. Um, My favorite story, though, out of the whole process, though, was we had done, as part of it, you know, uh, you get interviewed extensively and. My husband and I had gone through this long interview at Jewish Family Services. That's who was doing our home study, and it was like four hours on a Friday. We'd taken the day off from work and stuff, and we walked out, and we were like, "Man, it's really nice to like have a conversation and examine your marriage um, when you're not in crisis, and like find out that you really, really do like <laughs> dig each other." You know, so it was a really, it was actually, it was actually a really. Nice experience, not just because of the you know measurable, immeasurable, immeasurable uh, gift that Gannon has been to us, but also to kind of evaluate your family on that level when you're you know not not having some kind of crisis driven getting you to that point. So
1: certainly there must be challenges when you adopt a medically complex child, but mm-hmm. there are also. More rewarding experiences, perhaps.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you just, you don't do these kind of sandbox comparisons. You know, I, I used to say with our oldest that, you know, you were constantly measuring him up. He was, you know, totally typical little boy, constantly measuring him to everybody else as child and stuff. But when you have a, a special needs child, especially a child with gan Gannon, like Gannon's um, issues, you um, your measure of progress and success is completely different. It's a totally different bar. So, you know, people are excited when their kids get into Yale, and we're excited when, you know, he graduates from eighth grade and walks across the stage. You know, it's just it, it's a, just a totally different um, measure of success and, that these kids give you.
1: Speaking of a child's medical history, Jacqueline, mm-hmm. DCF strives to provide as much information as possible to potential adoptive parents, why is that so important
0: well i think it's important for the the future planning for any child to know what their demographics and their genetics medical history is all about and we do do our very best to gather as much of that information as we can um, through the doctors and medical providers that child may have at the time we're involved but also from the self-reporting of the birth family and sometimes we have a birth family who will share with us all that they know and and sometimes they may not even know themselves, but we do gather as much information as we can and provide the pre-adoptive family with a packet of information so that they can be best prepared
1: in Gannon's case, Rebecca, how much information did you receive and and how how challenging was it to maybe fill in the the missing pieces?
2: Yeah. so um, you know, Gannon's issues were not medical issues were not genetic. So there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a genetic component that we were super concerned about in terms of what the parents, the bio parents may or may not have passed along. Um, I think, you know, some of the concern, especially now as we're going through some of the teenage years and there's... um, you know, issues tend to come out. I think you you question a little bit about mental health histories and things, and whether that has any bearing on 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 him. But for the most part, the information that we had from DCF was very comprehensive and and super helpful in terms of you know advocating for his medical needs. Um, you know, he had he had. Tremendous number of supports and services in place by the time he had come home to us, so uh, it was just a continuation of that. Uh, So the history was relevant, but it wasn't a make or break kind of to the decision.
1: It seems that you maybe entered this process a little better educated than the average person because of what you do for a living. What advice would you give to a potential adoptive parent?
2: Uh, You know, it's funny. um, I. Yeah, I, I had kind of an education, but it's really so gut driven. You know, it just—I, it was his picture on the heart gallery that I saw that picture, and I knew I knew that was my child. And you know, there was there was nothing that was going to stop us. Um, it didn't matter what hurdles we had to jump through. It didn't matter, you know, not to say that DCF puts up hurdles, but <laughs> there's procedures and things that you have to follow. But um, you know, it was just. Uh, there was no question, you know. I think so my best advice is to just truly trust your gut and trust in the process and know that, um, you know, what is meant to be is going to be.
1: Jacqueline, I'm guessing Rebecca's story is not the only one that's been generated by the Heart Gallery that's had such a, a good outcome.
0: It's not, but I, Rebecca and her husband are truly, um, they restore your faith in, in mankind because of their selfless nature and their willingness to take in such a medically, compromised child. I mean, Gannon really was, um, you know, a very medically complex child. And they were, you know, they jumped right in, and they were willing to do anything that he needed. And we need more families like them. Um, Not all of the children in our heart gallery have those medical complexities. Right now, we have two um, of those 31 that have um, significant medical health concerns. Uh, the other children have different needs.
1: Rebecca, did Gannon enter a household where there were other children?
2: Yeah, so we have three other biological children um, who are all older, obviously, than he is. Um, So yeah, so he came home to a family of two older brothers and an older sister.
1: And how did that work? What were some of the uh, rewarding uh, instances and and maybe some of the, the challenges integrating someone new into the household?
2: Uh, I think the, my favorite story is my daughter's comment, which was, I just don't want another brother, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, to, to know Gannon is to love him. I mean, he just really, um, he's a little wounded warrior, you know, he's just been through so much and, uh, you know, there's not a night honestly that goes by even this many years later where I don't think to myself, if we hadn't adopted him, where would he be? And, um, I just can't imagine our lives without him. And he's just a huge, he just, he just completed our family seamlessly. So there was, you know, no, no issue. I mean, look, there's always learning curve, you know, uh, learning curves to, to bringing in a puppy, you Mm -hmm. know, to bringing in, bringing any dynamic. But um, he was just, he just fit our family so well and just completed our. Our picture so well. So
1: You are listening to Face Connecticut. It is National Adoption Awareness Month. We are talking to Jacqueline Ford. She is the statewide foster care and adoption recruitment specialist for the State Department of Children and Families. And we are talking to Rebecca Iantoni. She is from Bethany and she adopted Gannon. He is 16 now. He was seven when he was adopted from the DCF's Heart Gallery. Jacqueline, tell us a little about the designation of legal risk adoptive placement?
0: Mm -hmm. Well, a legal risk adoption is when we place a child with a pre-adoptive family and the parental rights are not yet terminated. Um, So there's that legal risk that that child may need to leave that home and go back to a birth family member. Um, We place a child into a legal risk situation when we have a plan in place where we're gonna be pursuing termination of parental rights. But it's a scary. It could be a very scary process for many families um, who are looking to add to their family um, with a ch- with a, a child. Um, the younger the child, um, the higher the level of legal risk.
1: So that must take a very special family to be willing to to take on that risk that you might become attached to a child and then the child might go back to the birth parents.
0: Absolutely. And it, it takes a lot of you know, time and planning and really self-reflection um, on that individual or that couple to see if this is something that they feel that they can that they can manage. Um, and we you know we talk to them about, you know, the option of fostering a child until or if a child will need to stay and growing your family that way as well. But it's um, they get a lot of training and supports around what legal risk really means so that they can make the most informed decision
1: after the adoption process is complete. The services that DCF provides don't go away, correct? You, you still provide a, a level of, of counseling and services to, to help this new family.
0: We absolutely do, and then we also provide um, post-education college um, reimbursement um, through the Connecticut University System. Um, so a child will get that opportunity, the family will have the opportunity to support that child through college. Um, and we pay for that as well.
1: Rebecca, did you find those continuing services helpful in Gannon's case?
2: Definitely, initially. I just wanted to make one other comment. Gannon was legal risk, a, a legal risk adoption initially too, and um, it, everything that Jackie was saying about it too is was, was issues that we felt that we were supporting, we were supporting a child. But we didn't want to take away a child if if his parents were going to be able to his biological parents were going to be able to get their acts together and and do what they needed to do we would never have taken him from but we would have supported and we even extended to mom to be part of part of his life even after so um, so that was just I wanted to comment about legal risk being you know completely something that you can you can overcome
1: before we move on to the the services provided post-adoption how did it feel when you finally got the word that the legal risk was gone
2: i still remember the day that the lawyer called me from the the tv because you're not allowed now i'm a lawyer and i wasn't allowed to go we weren't allowed to go to any of the the termination uh, proceedings and and they were really the judge was really giving um the biological dad mom mom had had consented to having her rights terminated Shortly, shortly after we were involved, but Dad um, was was hanging on a little bit, and um, you know we wanted to support him, and if he could have done it, you know we absolutely would have supported. But ultimately, he you know he he couldn't, and so the day that the judge ruled, the Gannons' court-appointed attorney called me, and I can remember sitting at work, and I just I like was like stunned. I couldn't believe that it was finally you know going to come to fruition and be be done. Um, and uh, I just like burst into tears, and I was, you know, trembling as I was calling my husband. And I, all the girls in my office were standing outside my office, waiting. You know, knew that this was the lawyer, and um, it was just a big cheer, and it was, it was amazing. I mean, it was just, it was almost like better that it was legal risk because you had that extra element to it. So.
1: And how yeah. long did that take when you first found him to getting that call?
2: So he, they were pretty far along in the TPR process, the termination of parental rights process. Um and it was just that dad had kind of asked for another chance. Um, so the judge gave him another chance. Um so we were only about six months, it was only about six months that we waited for for that to just come to um but we had, you know, lots of conversations, my husband and I had lots of conversations that we would we would have fostered him and we would have supported him we would have done whatever was necessary um you know to either keep a biological family intact or to just support this child through through all that um because i was just you know and I, I, jackie knows from from the minute i saw that picture i wasn't i knew he was part of my world
1: as you noted earlier the services that dcf provides mm-hmm. post-adoption were helpful to you initially
2: they were yeah I, I guess you could say i'm a little bit of a control freak so <laughs> so i um i used we used a lot of their services um they're super super helpful and would give you know would still if i needed anything i know i could i could tap into resources at dcf um i uh you know slowly worked my way our way out of those services and um into kind of the the infrastructure and the structure of support system for him that that I, we designed for him. So um, I think that system is there and can could have provided even more, but it was me that was kind of pulling away from it. So,
1: Jacqueline, are mm-hmm. there cases where the biological parents are are still involved and the relationships are
0: symbiotic? Um, yeah, thank you for asking that because I'm glad that Rebecca brought that up. We do have open adoptions, um, and those are, it's a legally... It's a, it's a contract um, that we have and it's overseen um, by an attorney and it has to be in the best interest of the child. So for example, if Gannon's mom had um, voluntarily terminated and she asked if it can be an open adoption, um, and having some kind of connection to Gannon. Together, Rebecca and her husband and the, the legal system could develop a plan that would be best for Gannon. It could be as simple as I have a, a family years ago who the grandparents weren't in a situation where they could adopt their grandchild, but they wanted to have some relationship. So for all of the major holidays, the adoptive family would meet her at um, J C Penney's and they would have a family photograph taken and have lunch for all of the major holidays. And that was that family's way to stay connected to their grandchildren. Um, So we absolutely do have the option of an open adoption um, if it's going to benefit the child. And that also can be amended if it's no longer in the best interest of that child to remain in contact with a birth family member.
1: Are there any fees associated with adopting a child?
0: there are absolutely no fees associated with adopting through the Department of Children and Families.
1: Is there help adopting a child from out of state? Are, are interstate adoptions uh, something that happen frequently?
0: Well, we're not an adoption agency. So we are a child protection agency where our goal is always to keep children with their birth families whenever possible, whenever safely possible. Um, so when we do finalize an adoption or identify an adoption resource, it's only because the child cannot safely return home. Um, we're not an agency where um, a mom will come to us and say, I'm you know, pregnant and I want to um, identify an adoptive family for our children. Um, so we do do interstate adoptions. Um, for example, if someone in another state saw a child on the heart gallery, they could um, ask how they could go about being considered for that child and if they were licensed in their state of origin and, and we could have some kind of an agreement between the two. Um, but that's basically, we don't provide supports and services um, to find a child in another state. We are you know, loyal and advocating to the children right here in Connecticut um, that are in our, our program and trying to find them adoptive um, and foster care resources.
1: And you do have a benefit coming up later this month in Hamden to help promote the Hart Gallery. Tell us about that.
0: I do. Um, Salati's Voice Studio, um, based out of Cheshire, hosts a benefit concert every November. And this year they asked to highlight us for their benefit concert in November. So it'll be on November 18th. That's a Saturday at 3 p.m. at the Whitney Center in Hamden. Um, her, vo- her vocal students will be performing, as well as some dance acts in between the vocal performances. Um, we do have a couple sisters who are gonna be adopted very shortly, and they're gonna do a dance routine. Um, we have q which is uh, dancers who support sick children at the CCMC Children's Hospital. They'll be performing an act. Um, I will be there to talk about the adoption needs in Connecticut. Rebecca um, is wonderful to be there to speak about providing a testimony Um, of what she's experienced with um, the Heart Gallery. And we'll have information and we'll have the children's pictures on display for the audience to see and hopefully Dispel some myths and misconceptions about our program and find more resources for Connecticut children.
1: And what are some of those myths and misconceptions? And, and either of you can can chime in.
0: We have a document called "Myths and Misconceptions" that we have online, and you know it it runs from very simple um, simple misconceptions, such as uh, people not knowing that they can foster or adopt if they're single. Or if they've never had a child of their own, um, to you know, we have um, we're, we have a special focus this month for Adoption Awareness Month on our um, LGBTQ community, so that people who are in same-sex relationships understand that we embrace them and we want as many families to come forward to foster and adopt our children. Um, but you know, even the um, the college benefit, not many people are aware that we will help support. That, um, or that we provide a monetary reimbursement every month and medical and dental insurance. So I think that um, the platform that I'd like to use is that even if you're not interested or able to at this time to be a foster care provider or an adoptive resource, if you would take the role as messenger for us and learn as much as you can about our program to help us dispel those myths and misconceptions so that more people will come forward to be a resource for our children.
1: And what's the best way to get started if people want to help out?
0: Uh, well, the best way to get started is to call one 888 kid And that is a centralized number where the person answering the phone, um, wonderful people at the Kid Hero line, they'll take down some information and they'll refer you to an open house, which is an informational session in your community. Um, And they'll stay in touch with you. You go to the open house, you learn all about our program, and you can begin and initiate the steps that very day.
1: She is Jacqueline Ford, statewide foster care and adoption recruitment specialist with the state DCF, joined by Rebecca Iantoni. Of Bethany, an adoptive parent. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you. And Jacqueline, thanks as always for coming back on Face Connecticut.
0: Well, thank you for having me.
1: Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio.
2: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network,